Amen. So this is our year to be full. Before I'm done, I'm going to introduce you at the end of the message to somebody that is a special guest, a couple that are here today, and it will tie into what I have to say. I could introduce them right now, but I would rather wait and do this when I'm done. There's Felicia, his wife. Felicia, would you stand and just greet the congregation? These are precious people that have been members of this church for years. Amen. Amen. She is an intercessor, and those people love God and support this church. Let me get into the word of the Lord. The text we've been using, I'm going to put them up on the screen, but I'm not going to take the time to read them all in view of our guests that are here. Paul said, I have learned to be full. Say full again. Amen. And that's God's will for every one of us. Jesus in Matthew 7, 9 through 11, the Sermon on the Mount is talking about that if we as earthly fathers that are sinful and carnal in our nature and, and we get angry and, and all of this kind of stuff that goes on. If we as earthly fathers, I'm talking to men right now, but it applies to women as well. If our, parent, if our children ask for a loaf of bread, would we give them a stone? If they ask for a fish, would we give them a snake? And Jesus says, no, you wouldn't do that. Of course not. So he said, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? It is because of this that I'm in a series on Father Knows Best. Amen. He wants what is best for us. In fact, in Jeremiah 29 and 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you. You might not feel like you are known to God, but I want you to know God knows your name and he has a plan for your life. You matter to God. I want to do something that will defeat the devil right now. Put your hand over your heart and say, God knows who I am and God has a plan for my life. I matter to God. Oh, yes, you do. He says, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Well, that word plans can be taken one of two ways, or it can mean both of these things at the same time. Specific plans that are unique to you, like, for example, when Lloyd tells Ken he has a governmental anointing. That is specific. And so Ken is running for a governmental office, and we need godly people in these positions. Yes, we do. Amen. People that have supported the kingdom are going to look out for our interest. Secondly, plans can mean the principles. I know the plans I have for you. The principles that will help you live your life correctly. And when I talk about principles, uh, it's important that you understand what that means. You see, some people think the Bible is only about salvation. That's it. You get saved, and from there on out, you just hang on. Have you ever heard people in church say this? I grew up hearing this. This is why I left church at an early age. Well, when you get to the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hang on. Uh, you know, how you doing? Well, I, I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm barely, I don't want to hear that kind of talk. I'm saved. I have a brother to this day that I love with all of my heart. When I call him, I ask, how you doing? And he says, Rich, I'm just trying to be saved. What? 
I'm just trying to, to please Jesus. Listen, the Bible empowers you. It not only saves you, but it has principles that will cause your life to prosper. It's like Boudreaux. <laughs> he looks over the fence and the next door neighbor, their little boy, Jimmy, is filling up a hole that apparently he had dug. And Boudreaux says, yeah, what you doing back there? And he said, well, I'm burying my goldfish. And Boudreaux said, that's a sure big hole for a little bitty goldfish. And Jimmy looked up and said, that's because it was in your cat. Amen. (laughs) I took care of business is what I did. (laughs) You're going to need you a new cat when this is all said and done. Well, that's how the Bible is. You may think there's just salvation in it, but the whole cat is in there. Amen. It's got something for your entire life. And I've been teaching 12 ways giving biblically biblically can become your key to financial prosperity. I've already taught seven of these. And because of time, I'm not going to go over them again. I'll just simply mention them. Give yourself to God first. Give to God his first fruits. Give to God sacrificially when he moves you to do so. Always give God your best, number four. Now, number five, give obediently and faithfully. Number six, give willingly. Number seven, give in proportion to what you wish to receive. I want to deal with the final five principles today and the next week finish up this series on Father Knows Best, how to cause our finances to prosper. I'll be moving on to something else after next week in. But the reason that I am teaching this is Luke 6, verse 38. This is what the Father says. Give and you will receive your gift. Your gift will return to you in full. I need somebody to say what I give will return to me in full. Say it. What I give will return to me in full. Press down. Shaken together. Oh, watch it now. To make room for more. Say it. I'm going to get more. When you give to God, you not only give every, get everything back you gave, you get more. Amen. I don't care what it is that you give, whether it's money, time, or resources, uh, the time you spend uh, devoted to serving in a ministry, All of that that you give to God, even what you're going through, this is the way you should approach that. Like if you're going through a problem, God, I I give this situation to you. Let your, your glory come from what I am experiencing. Be glorified in this that I am walking through. When you do that, I'm telling you, heaven opens over your life. And you will receive more. Amen. And God says he will, it will be poured into your lap running over. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Oh my. So those principles are extrapolated from some of these verses. I move on to principle eight. Prepare what you are giving in advance. 
In 2 Corinthians 9 and 5, Paul writes, Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand. Everybody say, beforehand. Which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. In Israel, they would gather the offering together before even going to the house of God. The Old Testament speaks repeatedly of the people preparing an offering. Amen. And even in the New Testament, you now find the same thing. Paul says, prepare your gift in advance. The root word for the tithe literally means the collection. In many churches today, and probably you've been in some, where they talk about receiving the gifts of God's people as the collection. Okay, it's time to receive the collection. Anybody ever heard those words in church? We always think that what that refers to is the ushers are going to go collect what you are bringing to God. It doesn't. When we say receive the collection, it means we're receiving what you have collected beforehand. That's literally what the word means. In other words, you should not give just perfunctorily. Okay, it's time for the offering. I'm going to pull out my, my money clip or whatever and give an offering to God. Never give like that because there's no faith in it. What this refers to is that you should pray about what you're giving. The tithe you don't have to pray about. That's already said. But you should pray about what God wants you to set aside. Don't wait until you come to church to think about giving. Set God's tithe aside first. You know why you do this? Because if you don't, you're going to be tempted to spend what belongs to God. You're going to end up driving up here in God's tithe. Help me, Lord. <laughs> Amen. You're going to be wearing God's tithe, and that's going to get you in trouble. When you give after having prayed, you are entering into a covenant of faith with God, and by acting in faith, you are enabling God to act in your life. So always give as the result of a covenant you're making with God. God speaks to me, I respond. Now, I've already known that the tithe belongs to the Lord, so I'm setting that aside. But the offering I want to set aside as well as God speaks to me. Why do you set it aside and prepare it for when you come to church? If you don't, something will come up and you will be tempted to use what belongs to God for yourself. And that will cause problems in your life. Principle number nine, don't give out of necessity or because you are pressured to give. Second Corinthians 9, 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. You see, what does that mean? Well, let's read it in the message. Paul writes, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give. That will protect you, listen to this, against sob stories and arm twisting. Anybody ever been in a church where they gave you sob stories and twisted your arm during the offering? Amen. We have, we have, I feel like the Lord, we got a terrible need. We're going to go off the air if we don't get a, 
an offering today. And I know there are 10 people out there that each have a $1,000 blessing they want to give. And they take all the time in the service. Now, who are the 10? And then it's, I've got 100 that have a $1,000 blessing. Amen. Oh, you listen to that. And, and, and man, there's so much arm twisting. I will never allow that to happen in this church. I will never allow that to happen. I've had, you don't know this, but I've had ministers that have come that have said, I want to receive my own offering. And I said, nope, that's not going to happen. I do not allow this people to be manipulated. I've never done it. I never shall. And that's one reason that when you give, you know you can give what God is speaking to you to give. And it is being received with integrity. Would you say amen? And our books are open, always have been. We once had a member of this church who went around to several of our people doing their best to turn folk against us. And they complained they didn't like the way the finances were handled here. Now, we may have had more than that. I just know this one. And uh, I want you to be aware of this. When you go to church, the devil goes too. Amen. In fact, he's more faithful than some of us are. Now, don't look cross-eyed at your neighbor. That's not, the, that's not who I'm talking about. But trust me, the devil does go to church when you go to church. Oh, yes, he does. And so this person, years ago, we were building the Family Life Center back there. And my, my dear old sweet dad, who's going to heaven now, he... He was an instrument electrician foreman for many years at one of the industries in Louisiana there in Lake Charles. And he said, son, I want to come over and wire that building for you, and I'm not going to charge one cent. And that was a huge undertaking. And I'm, he came over. He said, I did it for your, your brother. My, I have a brother that pastors in Canada, and dad flew up there and wired that church they were building. And he said, I want to do it for you. And he came over here and stayed in my house and, and wired that building. And do you know that that person I'm referring to trying to cause problems, they were so convinced that there was nobody that would do something like that for free. They were in the office pouring through the books. And you know what I did? I let them because our books are open. And they couldn't find where well, one cent went to my poor old sweet dad. Amen. Dad wired that building. I didn't have the money. We didn't at that time. We were a small congregation. And we needed the help, but they couldn't find one thing wrong. Amen. Later in another meeting, and I'll mention this, and Tony's going to smile because he was in that meeting, our men's pastor. And there was a flood in Ohio, I think it was. And they wanted to take shut down our missions budget and send the money for the missionaries that we collect in today's mission Sunday. So you know how important that is to our missionaries. They want to send the money to the flood victims. And, and I said, we can't do that. We send offerings where there are great needs. We've done that. Other churches did that during the flood here. I've sent money to different places around the country to help with various needs and so forth. And I told them we'd be very happy to send an offering. Tony will verify what I'm telling you. But that wasn't what they wanted. They wanted to shut the budget down for the missions and send all this money. And I said, there's two reasons I can. Number one, the most important thing is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. Jesus taught that it's better to go to heaven with one eye 
If your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Why? Because it's better to go to heaven without a hand and only one eye than to go to hell having two hands and two eyes. Because when you get to heaven, you're going to get that eye back and you're going to get that hand back. And if you got to struggle a little bit down here, just get to heaven, brother. Oh, I wish I could hear an amen. Because it's going to be a whole lot better. This life is so short. And you can go through what you're going through if you keep heaven in mind. Yes, you can. And, and, and I explained that, but that wasn't good enough. And then I explained, well, you do know we pay taxes. And our tax money is pouring into that area just like it did here in Houston. Is it enough? No. We're willing to send money and have helped in so many different places that you don't even know anything about. But that still wasn't good enough. And then I, I stopped the conversation by making a comment. I said, if you want to write the budget, we're happy to let you do it. The only problem is you have to be willing to underwrite the budget. In other words, if you're going to tell us how to spend it, you've got to be willing to give it. The conversation stopped right there. Because you see, I had just found out what nobody else in that meeting knew. That person was not giving. Uh-huh, can somebody say amen? And so they go around talking about us. But before you listen to stuff like that, you need to, you need to learn something. I've learned this. When people talk about you, listen. I wish somebody would hear me. I said, when people talk about you, listen to what they're saying. You know why? It tells you more about them than it does about you. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. And the reason I can trust this church when there is a need to respond is because we've never twisted your arm. We don't give sob stories. We don't do that. And because you have witnessed all these years the finances being handled with integrity, you know you can trust God when he tells you to give. And I want you to understand it. Whether you give or not doesn't affect my salary at all. I get a, a salary that's very, very modest in terms of the size of this congregation. And many of you make more than Jerry and I do together. But let me just point this out. If you give, my salary's not going up. If you don't give, it's not going down. Amen. And the same with the rest of our pastors. You know what that means? I'm free to preach without an ulterior or proprietary motive. I can preach the word and feel good in my heart about what I am preaching. Oh, somebody shout amen. I can preach the principle and know that I'm standing on the rock of ages when I do so. Principle number 10, give cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for what God said loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, oh, I feel my Holy Spirit working right now. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Put your hands on your heart and say, I'm going to have abundance. Would you do that? 
It's not God's will that you struggle in life. He wants to bless you with abundance for every good work. The word giving cheerfully there literally means to give hilariously. That God loves an hilarious giver. I'm going to show you a clip of a video. It's taken from right here in Houston. It's an African congregation. Now, I'm in Africa nearly every week, and so I'm going to tell you that it might be a culture shock to some of you in this building. If you came from one of those churches where they sing, I promise you, you're getting ready to have a heart attack. So if we have any, you know, first responders in the building, please keep an eye out. Amen. And help me right now. Because I don't care what church it's in in Africa. I've been to the Baptist, the Presbyterian, the Lutheran, the Pentecostal, even the Catholic church. When it comes time for music, Joshua, I see you back there. Am I right, my brother? Yomi's in here somewhere. I saw him a moment ago. When it comes time for music, it's time to boogie. It's time to dance. Amen. I've seen Catholic priests out there just dancing. Amen. So I want to show you a video taken during an offering, and I want you to notice the brother. He's having a wonderful time giving. And not only that, he's got his hand in his pocket, and just before he gives, he turns like he's going to walk away. I'm tricking the devil. Like I changed my mind. I'm not going to live. And he turns back around, and he's dancing, and he drops it. What's this? Walk away. There you go. (laughs) Amen. Now, in case you're from Africa, I'm not making fun. I love this. That is my definition of a hilarious giver right there. Who loves giving to God. Would it help you to know his story that in 2006 he was diagnosed with an incurable disease and given up to die. He was in a hospital for two months in a coma. His wife, he didn't know God. Wife didn't know God. She walked away from him because she said he's dying. Abandoned him in the hospital on his deathbed. God raised him up. Saved him. Baptized him with the Holy Spirit. I'm not making this up. His name is Brother Franklin. Right here in Houston. God gave him a godly wife. I'm going to tell you right now. If God did that for me. I'd do a little dancing. And I feel like doing just a little bit right now. Anyway. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. You'll have to forgive me, but I am a hilarious giver. I give to God gratefully because God has been good to me. 
God has been good to me. Amen. Principle 11. Practice the 10-10-80 rule. You say, what is the 10-10-80 rule or principle? It is giving God his 10%, saving 10%, and then living on the 80% that is remaining. Someone could say, but the Bible doesn't mention a 10-10-80 principle. And technically they're right. But the, if you look into the word of God, you'll see that the teaching is actually there. It does say to give to God his 10th. It also teaches us to save. Listen, Proverbs 21.20. There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise. But what a foolish man squanders it all. Mm. Common sense tells us to live on the rest. It is a biblical principle. You should make it a lifelong practice to never live on everything you earn. Don't do it. Put 10% aside for God. Put your 10% aside for savings. You say, I can't afford to. You can't afford not to. You say, I'm working at McDonald's. You just might not be able to wear Gucci for a while. Amen. Tell Prada to go take a hike. You need to develop a budget. If you have one week where you don't have any expenses, don't go blow everything you make that week because you got a house payment coming up in two weeks. Amen? I wish I could hear somebody respond. Put money aside to, do, to cover the cost of your monthly budget. Unfortunately, some people not only earn, spend everything they earn, they try to live on everything they earn. And worse, some people live on more than they earn. No matter what's coming in, they'll always spend an additional 10% or 15%. Constantly digging the hole deeper the whole time. Don't do that. Get out of debt. Romans 13 and 8, owe no one anything except to love one another. Somebody say hallelujah. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. You need to know that banks and credit card companies are constantly trying to lure you into debt because they make a killing from poor people who live from paycheck to paycheck. Are you getting all of those, those things in the mail where you have been pre-approved? For, I didn't apply. Why are you sending me something that pre-approves me? I know your scheme. I know what you're up to. Amen. They're trying to get you in debt while they live lavish lives on a budget that is predicated upon what you are giving to them as you overspend. Why did Paul say, owe no one anything, which means get out of debt except to love one another? You know why? Because most people, oh, that's going to get heavy now, who get into spending and overspending. They don't even realize the psychological and emotional forces compelling them to do that. They need something to make them feel better. So they'll go to the mall and spend money they don't have. What you really need to do is get fixed on the inside where God can heal your broken emotions, where you don't feel better about yourself when you drive up in a car you can't afford. Oh, it's getting quiet in here now, but I'm preaching to somebody. 
Learn to look, not just at the price tag. There's a man that I know is a friend, and he's a multi-multi-millionaire. I'm talking about like 60 million the last I'd heard. And I asked him to teach me something about money. He's not a member of this church. I wish he was. I feel like proselytizing. Amen. We're going to have a barbecue or something see if we can't get him over here. No, I'm joking with you. I never pull people from another church. I asked him, teach me something about money. They'd gone on a missions trip with Jerry and I. And uh, he said, well, the most important thing is don't look only at what you spend. Look at what your spending could have earned you. And so if you see a boat... If I'm making anybody uncomfortable right now by mentioning a boat, just pretend I said a motorcycle. Okay? If that boat costs $30,000 because of the miracle of compound interest, it did not really cost $30,000. In today's economy, you can easily double your money in eight years. So if in eight years after you paid $30,000 for a boat, you don't have that money to invest. That boat didn't cost you 30000 In eight years, it cost you 60000 Oh, I'm preaching right now. And then in eight more years, it actually cost you 120 because it would have doubled again. And in eight more years, it would have cost you 240000 Eight more years, it would have cost you, oh, Lord, and by the time you're done, in 40 years, that $30,000 boat would have cost you $960,000. That could have funded your retirement right there. That could have helped me build this church. <laughs> just, just joking with you. There are great courses out there that will help you get free from debt. Dave Ramsey course, for example. There's another one that comes highly recommended that you can go to our website that we're starting and launching here. It's called D-Free for Debt Free. And then finally, principle 12, give to the poor. These are principles that will open heaven over your life and cause God to release financial prosperity in your life. Listen to Proverbs 19, 17. He who has pity on the poor, lends to the Lord, and he will pay back what he has given. During the years, I've helped so many people that have come to me and said, I just want to borrow some money, and I've learned I can't do that because if I loan them money, you know what happens? I don't see them again. They start avoiding me. There are people who used to be members of this church. They won't even come to church anymore because they've not paid that. Am I, am I preaching right now? Yeah, I am. And so I learned to make it a gift (laughs) because I'll never see it again. And if they do give it back, well, praise God. Look what the Lord did. Amen. I want to tell you when you loan to God, God gives it back. I wish I could hear somebody in the house say, God is faithful. Would you say that? God is faithful. You remember the statistics that Pastor Watkins shared with us from his book, And by the way, if you don't have a copy, go to the lobby, get it. If you can't, at the bookstore, if you can't afford it, I'll give it to you. If every Christian tithe, the church could eliminate world hunger and homelessness without any governmental assistance at all. How many of you know that governmental offices are some of the most corrupt, inept, inefficient offices there are? That's the truth. Anybody that say, pays $740 for a hammer, I could have bought them for 
at Home Depot is in serious trouble. Amen. If every Christian tied, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. $25 billion would relieve world hunger, starvation, and preventable deaths in only five years. Amen. $12 billion would eliminate illiteracy within five years. $15 billion would solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically in places where 1 billion people live on only $1 a day. That would leave 100 to 110 billion left over for evangelism, expansion, and growth. Oh, if everybody that was a Christian would just make a commitment to honor God, give God his tithe, Set 10% aside for yourself. Live on the 80% remaining. You see, most of us, we give to these relief organizations because it makes us feel good. Let me share some things about relief organizations. When you look at the salaries of the CEOs of these relief organizations, it makes you get mad. Red Cross, the guy earns $1,037,000 a year. United Way, $1,236,611 a year. UNICEF, the guy earns $1,200,000. The Cancer Society, American Cancer Society, $2,100,000. You say, I'll give to the Boys and Girls Clubs of America. Their CEO earns $1,800,000. Well, I'll give to Goodwill. That guy earns 850000 I don't get a salary anywhere near any of these. And it doesn't get much better when it comes to the distribution of the money to the areas of need. You think you give $10 and all that's going to the area of need? Oh, no. That's got to pay salaries. That's got to pay buildings. That's got to pay, you know, all of this other stuff. And then come to find out with some of them like, like UNICEF, oh, my God, have mercy They were bringing in prostitutes for these executives of these corporations and paying for them with our donations. I'm getting mad just talking about it. With the Clinton Foundation, it was reported that only 5.7% of what they received went to the needy and a full 94.3% was used for other things that benefited the members of the foundation. When you give and you're not giving through the kingdom. It's going to places that are crazy. You know, and things that, it's not getting to the area of need, so don't kid yourself. The one exception, and I'll close, in both salaries and the percentage of funds that actually make it to the needy is not surprisingly the Salvation Army. A Christian and church-based organization where the head of the Salvation Army is paid a modest salary of a little over $100,000 a year. And during disasters, get this, 100% of what you give goes directly to the area of need. 100%. You know why it's that way and why the other organizations are the way they are? Guess what? It goes through a Christian organization that is church-based. What you ought to do is funnel your finances through the kingdom of God where there's integrity. You say, but I've heard all these stories about these pastors having limousines and Rolls Royces. Those are the ones that get up and ask for, I know there are $10,000 blessings here. So you're foolish to give to any of that. I'm going to just say it like it is. 
You say, well, that's my favorite preacher. Well, then be quiet and stop complaining when he lives on several million dollars a year. And you find it out. If that's, if that's okay with you, fine, but it's not okay with me. Uh-uh, I don't think it pleases God either. I've known a pastor's, oh, let me shut up right now. I'm going to get upset up here. And we got missionaries that are, that are struggling like David Waco, who was here in the first service and maybe is here even now. We've got missionaries that are struggling to build the kingdom of God. And they're taking up offerings that never make it to the area of need. Don't get me started on that kind of stuff. So they could have another Rolls Royce. Uh Uh-uh. No, 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 no. Give where you know it's going to be handled with integrity. Somebody shout hallelujah. And I close with this life application points. Put God to the test. Try God. That's what Malachi said. Number two, be consistent. Be consistent. We live in a microwave society, a Pop-Tart society. Amen. We, we want to punch the button on the toaster and the Pop-Tart to be up ready to eat in just a 30 seconds. You know what I'm talking about. So we, I'm going to start giving to the Lord on Sunday. I heard Pastor talk about it, so I'm starting today. And then on Monday, oh, where's my blessing? I hadn't found it yet. And looks like Pastor didn't know what he was talking about yesterday. Be consistent. And then number three, be patient. Somebody say, be patient. Keep on trusting God and be patient. He will come through. And number four, you will experience divine prosperity. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. You say, what good does it do to sow? I want to introduce a precious couple to you right now that I've only come to know just lately. Pastor Luis and Naomi Laranaga, I want you to please come up here and would you welcome them with a good, warm Christian tabernacle response. Some years ago, some of you will remember now, Manuel Torres, who's going home to be with the Lord. Member of this church, he only had one leg. Anybody remember Manuel Torres? He was in prison ministry, just like Tony Bass and some of the others. And Manuel asked me, he kept asking me, Pastor, would you come with me one day to preach to the Livingston unit? And so you know what I did? I arranged to fly in early, and I, flew, and I drove up to the Livingston unit and met him there. He was waiting for me, and I went in and preached. And I've seen the photo of the guys I was preaching to. You got a picture of it. Guess who was right there on the front row? The man that I'm introducing to you right now, Pastor Lara Naga, was there. Not as a believer, but as an inmate. He gave his heart to God. Then began to be Manuel Torres' assistant. And not only that, Herbert Free's assistant within the prison system. God out has built a church in our community. He and his precious wife. Oh, give God some praise. Hallelujah. 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 
They are meeting in the Trinity Lutheran Church right here in our community. And do you know they have grown a congregation in five years to 200 people? Give God some praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I didn't even know who he was until about a month or five weeks ago. I walked in. I was preaching here. When I was about to finish, I I looked over, and there was a man sitting next to Pastor Irvin Clark, and he was responding, amen, and and that's right, and and really worshiping the Lord with us. And after service, Pastor Clark called me over and said, I want to introduce you to somebody. He said, this man gave his heart to God when you went into the prison, and he's now a pastor in our community. And he is doing the work of God. Oh, that broke me. We cried together, put our arms around each other, and worshiped together. And I don't mind telling you, I felt heaven open over me. They're building a great church in our community, serving the needs of the people, feeding the hungry, distributing food preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He and I met for, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half yesterday. He asked me to be his spiritual father. It was a divine connection. Amen. And I want you to hear him. Pastor Larinaga, introduce Amen. yourself Sit and down. your wife. Yes, be comfortable. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, the Bible says, a labor in the Lord is not in vain. And I'm... Uh, I'm a fruit of your labor in that penitentiary. I've been with Torres for 10 years, helping him out, and Brother Reverend Free. And then I meet Pastor over there, and he laid hands on me, and he prayed over me. And I did it 12 years in that penitentiary. Faithful in the Lord. The Lord Talk to me and say, look, as Jonah was in the belly of the fish yeah. for three days and three nights, this is, this is the fish for you. I have a great purpose in your life. Prepare yourself. So I did it. I've been out seven years. Two years after I've been out, the Lord said, now is the time. It's time ministry. Me? Yes. So... <laughs> In the office that I'm working, I talked to the lawyers, and he, he allowed me to use the office. And 12 members, 12 people came that day. 12 is a, a number of government. They got established something there. Amen? I'm Amen. right? Yes. <laughs> Hallelujah. So from, from 12, we become 200 right now. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And I know the best. Is yes to the come. The best is yet the best to come. Is yes to come. Yes, it is. You know, because when you are faithful and the little, God increase and bless you. Because He know our heart, man. And I thank God for this great opportunity that He allow us, me and my beautiful wife. See we hallelujah. Her name is Norma. Pastor Norma. said Noemi. Norma. Yes. Norma. But praise the Lord. I just met her this morning. You know, when you're seeking for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything that you need, even the desire of your heart, God bless you with it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. I know that is the best yet to come. We love you. And we're going to work together. 
for the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.